Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. The great truth of that song is that it is by the Holy Spirit that Christ is conceived in the heart, even as by the Holy Spirit, Christ was conceived in the body of Mary. And so we celebrate that reality at Christmas time. And, and of course, we celebrate just time to be together, time with family and friends, the opportunity to celebrate the, the great reality of God coming to us, taking on human flesh. And, um, and it's a great affirmation of our lives and our bodies that, that God took on human flesh. He doesn't call us to be something other than what we are. He calls us to be fully human, to be fully engaged in what God has, has done for us and has created us to become. So that's, that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Thank you, Don. Beautiful. As we go to prayer, just a couple of items to, um, to highlight this morning. First off, um, Bill Rapps' wife, Marianne, we lost her just a year ago this past week. And there was a, um, a regathering of the family. I wasn't able to be there because I was up in Jacksonville Beach. But um, uh, just when you see Bill next time, just make sure you put a love on him. And then coming in this morning, I chatted with Ron and Rhonda in the back, and Ron lost his father on the 15th. And so his Christmas and the end of this year has been a rough one for Ron. So you may want to just speak with Ron and Rhonda uh, before you leave. And, and every, every time we come together as a church, the whole idea is that we put a love on each other. We let people know that they matter and their lives are, are critical to all of us. And so we, we show our love to one another. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Dear Father, amidst all of the joy of seeing family and friends, there are also moments that are poignant because we realize that there, there are those who are not with us. And Lord, because of grief, because of the way it works, even those who've passed many years ago can be deeply missed at this time of year. And so, Lord, we we thank you for ministering to our hearts in the midst of it all. Thank you, Lord, for giving us good, hard, deep laughter. Thank you, Lord, for those moments of overindulgence. Thank you for the the gift that you have given to all of us to, to give and to receive love. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities we've had to not just to celebrate that, but, but to make that something that is part of everyday life. And it is true that Christ needs to be born again and again in our hearts, not in Bethlehem. That was once and done, and it was once and done for all of us. So Lord, we thank you for the gift that is ours in Christ. We also pray this morning, Lord, for, for the and we hardly even know quite what to believe anymore, but all of the, 
the new fears regarding this new variant. And Lord, we, we come together as a people knowing that we have to learn to live with it. It's gonna be a part of life. And it may be something that like a cold or a flu, we get over COVID going forward. We have to learn to live with it. And so may we live by faith and not by fear. Let, let us live by faith and not by foolishness. Let's watch out for each other, care for each other, and, and do what we must to stay well and to, to keep others well around us. And Lord, we, we ask that as, as this year unfolds that, that, that it, might be a, it might be a better year than last year. There are so many things that happened that we observed and that troubled us. And Lord, we, we ask that this might be a year of coming together, of, of solving issues and solving problems that, and that we as a people in this community might do our best to participate in, in our community life together so that, so that we might make a difference right here where we are. We have little that we can do about things going on around the world, but we can do things going on around our own neighborhoods or with our families or with those organizations or civic groups that we're involved with. Lord, may we make the difference that you have enabled us and called us to make. And Lord, even with that, we continue to pray for our, our national, our state and local leadership. We ask that you would bless those who are given the responsibility of governance and that you would be that still quiet voice whispering to them in the midst of all that they go through. Lord, we ask your blessing upon us all as we embark on this year together. And we pray in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And we bring to our Lord the tithes and offerings that he has first given to us.
And Father, we ask now that you would be born anew in our lives. You would speak to us through your word. Your Holy Spirit would, would mediate your grace to our hearts according to your will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in several conversations that I've had over the last many months, I've, I've made the response, mandates don't work. I've been a father. <laughs> so up in Jacksonville Beach, <laughs> we're, we're having dinner, and Reed, who's four and a half, uh, did something, and he got mad about something, and he stormed away from the table, and his mother said, Reed, you stop, you come back here. And she said, I'm going to count to three, and you better get back here. And I forget the, what the consequences were. She said, one, two, and Reed turned and went the other way. <laughs> maybe it's just me and just that family, or maybe we've all experienced that before. And we realize as parents um, that no matter where we are in, in life, as they're growing up, we're always in over our heads. We, we do our best, but we, we really don't know really much at all what we're doing. <laughs> we're learning as we grow. We still learn as we grow. And um, so it is with this story this morning, this story about, about Jesus and the temple and his parents. And um, I read somewhere along the way that, that uh, well, of course, the parents didn't know where he was. They're parents. <laughs> Of course we didn't know. Of course we, we have such limitations as parents. And I, I just have to share this because you've all heard it before, but Mark Twain, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. When I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> well, that, all of that, all of that is wrapped up in our story this morning. So after Jesus is born, he's presented in the temple for his naming and circumcision. And, and then there are two dear saints who, who greet him. Two dear people, Simeon and Anna, who, who are always in the temple and always there. And they see the baby and there's something about that baby. Maybe it's to them just a baby and there's something because of their capability of seeing wonder in the, the presence of any child, that they had to go and do that coochie-coo thing with, with Jesus. And, um, and they, they had a wonderful blessing upon that child. And, and then mom and dad, as we know, they, they had to haul off to Egypt for a while, and then they came back after a dream, and then they resettled life up in Nazareth, Nazareth, which is outside the, it's near the Lake of Galilee. It's, they, they even are not even sure exactly where it is, but they, they settled into life up there. And then we have really no much of an idea of how life went until Jesus is 12 years old. Because the family, along with others in the community, would all go down to the Passover feast together. And so it was a big entourage of people from their village 
They'd all go down, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, and little kids and adolescents. Everyone was going together. And it was just pure fun. They went down to the Passover feast. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the second chapter of Luke. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they, found, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I must be about my father's affairs? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with, all, with God and all his people. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So you can well imagine the situation of losing a child, even, even a 12-year-old boy, because just because we know how responsible and irresponsible 12-year-olds can be. And yes, this is Jesus, but that doesn't mean that Jesus was such a responsible child where he did everything right. He was a kid and he was fully human. So we have to believe that when they found out that he was missing, of course they went into a state of panic. It's their boy and he's missing. And, and so he is, he has some independence about him as many 12 year olds would and he, he went into the temple. And he was there in the temple. He was listening and asking questions. And he was learning. And the, the learned men of the nation were there. And he was just fascinated to sit at their feet and learn. And from Jesus' perspective, time just flew. Time went by so fast. Certainly by the end of that first day, at the same time that mom and dad were worrying about where he was, he had been taken in by one of those Pharisees or one of the priests of the temple. Probably took care of him. Where are your mom and dad? Well, I don't know. They, I don't know where they are. Well, here, we'll take care of you. Mom and dad, of course, a third of the way home, back up to Nazareth, going north along the Jordan River, went into a state of panic came back the next morning, realizing that, and they probably went through that, 
well, I thought he was with you. Well, I thought he was with you. Well, when did you let him go? Why, why did you let him go? I mean, you know how that goes, that, that accusation where the kind of things happen in a family. And um, they ask all the relatives and all the friends and all the other little kids. But he was nowhere. So the next morning, they could probably hardly sleep. They probably got up very early and went back. And then in that process of looking, they, they found Jesus in the temple. And Mary confronts him, as we might expect any, Mary, any mother to confront. Why would you do this to us? We have been frantic. We've been looking for you. Jesus, why didn't you tell us where you were, where you were going? Why did you do this? Your father and I have been so upset. And, um, and then Jesus responds with a rather interesting question. Why were you looking for me? It wasn't that Jesus didn't get it. It's that Jesus wasn't lost. Jesus was where he needed to be. And he wasn't being a smart aleck. He was just saying what was really true to him, and that is that I had to be about my father's affairs. So even though there's a lot of scholarly debate about this, I believe that Jesus had a sense of his identity and his calling, even at 12 years old. Didn't have to wait to the baptism for him to really affirm who he was and what he was there to do. He had a sense of calling, even at that stage in his life. And, and his parents, in looking at Jesus growing up amongst them, probably just saw their, their boy in the house with their, the siblings there and all the chaos that goes on with, with a household full of kids. And they, they probably saw him as most parents see their own child at that age and didn't see some of the things that, that really constituted his uniqueness. And it takes special eyes to see, even in our own children, the uniqueness that is emerging. I had an artist friend when I was at UC Santa Barbara who was telling me how he would go up into the mountains over Santa Barbara to get just the right angle of the Channel Islands. And I said, well, you can see it from my dorm room. You can see it from on the other side of the lagoon, at, at, out, on, out on the point there. He said, yes, but You've got to be able to see the, the islands specifically as those islands and not just any islands. And so you've got to get the right angle, just the right angle to see it just right. Now, I didn't understand. That's an artist. But I understood what he was saying in the sense that there was a sense of identity of those islands that he needed to represent in his work. Likewise, our own children have moments in which when we see them in a particular angle, we see them in a, in a uniqueness that is an emerging uniqueness. So while I was up in Jacksonville, I was watching my eldest grandson, Owen, who's almost 12 years old. And I saw him 
And here's a, you know, at, at 12, there's not much little boy left in his look. It's all about young man, but he's not shaving or anything like that. And I watched him as he was goofing around with his brothers and or his sisters and brother. And he was just being a kid. He was doing all the stuff they were doing. He was doing screen time. They had a limit to their screen time. Then they'd play these games and he would do all this stuff. And then out of the blue, Owen came to me because I got him for Christmas. I got him The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, pardon me, The uh, Chronicles of Narnia. And, um, and he came and told me that he had read The Magician's Menu, uh, Nephew. He came out and told me that he had done that. I'm aware that Owen's a voracious reader, and he's read almost everything of, um, you know, the Chronicles of, not just Chronicles of Narnia, but the, uh, the Ring Trilogy and, you know, all of those things. He's got a bookcase full of books, all of which he's read. But he came out to tell me that, and I all of a sudden got a, a, a glimpse at this emerging young man that I hadn't seen before. In other words, he wasn't just a tender young man. He was, he was a young man who's got a, a, a curiosity about matters of faith, because that's what the Chronicles of Narnia are about. They're children's stories, but they're faith stories. And so I was pleased to get that, that insight into that boy. Well, apparently, Mary and Joseph may have had those kinds of insights along the way, but Jesus called them out, so to speak, when he said, why were you looking for me? Was my identity, who I am, was it not evident to you all along? And we don't know quite how that all unfolded at that point other than to say that certainly Joseph and Mary embraced him, probably with tears, and, and they rejoined everyone else on their way up to Nazareth. And it says that, that Jesus was growing in stature and wisdom from that point on. He was obedient to his parents. Of course, he obeyed the fourth commandment. And um, he was pardon me, the fifth commandment. And he was a, a good son, but also growing, working with his father, caring for his, his siblings. And he, he carried on life with life in such a way that his personal identity and calling would slowly grow and emerge to the point where he would at one point then present himself for baptism to his cousin, John, down at the Jordan River. And in that, that initiated his, his ministry. That was the point in which he, he started out. But otherwise, he lived in that home, and in Nazareth, he was known as the son of the carpenter, he was probably working with his father, doing carpentry and all of that. But in the midst of it, there was this deep sense of calling. Calling, that's what the word vocation means. It's not occupation. 
His occupation as a young man was probably to be a carpenter. But his calling was to serve God, was to serve his father. And, and so it was that, that he then embraced his vocation, his calling, at the time of his baptism. And then everything started from there, a three-year ministry that concluded as we know. But there's something foundationally true about this story for all of us. And that is it's always so easy to confuse our occupation with our vocation. But somehow what we're doing with our time is what we're supposed to do. Now when, when Christ is born in the heart, we are given a deep and profound sense of calling, of, of vocation. And that calling is always going to be more than just our occupation. In many ways, we can pursue our calling within our occupations. But the calling is nevertheless consistent with all of us, and that is that we are all to serve God. We're all to serve him, enjoy him, in whatever context we find ourselves. Some of the finest ministers I've known have been people who, in one instance, he was a physician in Lubbock, Texas, very astute servant of God and, and student of medicine, and the dean of the medical school, who was in the church as well, commented to me once that, that Frank was probably the best diagnostician in the nation. But he did that as his calling, so that his vocation actually was the cutting edge of his occupation. And so it is that we all have this, this calling, because Christ Christ calls us not just to do what we do, to make a living, to bring, in the, to bring home the bacon, et, et cetera, and to, to do that and then buy a bunch of stuff and then get to the end of our lives and really wonder, I had this one life to live. Did I blow it? Or I had this one life to live. And as I look back on the years, I see that it has been so full of meaning and purpose. I had this one life to live. And Lord, if now's your time for me, let it be. That was the word of Simeon in the temple when Jesus went to be presented and named. Let it be to me according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation. So no matter what it is that we do in our days, we have a calling. It's a calling to live for, for God. And, and in that life, we know within our hearts the fullness, the abundance of what God intended for all of us. Will you join me in prayer? And so, Father, 
inasmuch as you sent your son to redeem us, to bring us to yourself. Lord, maybe that which separates us from you is the stuff with which we fill our days. We may not have to change doing what we're doing, but we may need to open our eyes to see and recognize just how you are moving in our hearts and lives. Lord, may that be. May Christ be born in us again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.